beginning with God. He was not created. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. That means all the zebras, all the ostriches, all the vultures, all the animals, and all of creation was made by him, including you. And for him. And nothing was made that was made without him. And he was the light of men. And then if you go down to the 14th verse, it says, but, the, but as many are, and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that was the 12th verse, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So here we see the word of God with God in the very beginning, and then God made all things through him, that's Father God made all things through him, and then the Word of God was made flesh. So that means he, and he dwelt among us. So Jesus' walking on the earth was God in flesh walking on the earth. Remember Hebrews 10.5 that I just quoted to you a little while ago was God prepared a body for him. His body wasn't looking like Brad Pitt. He wasn't anything special according to the Old Testament. He was just a mere man. He probably looked similar to you or I. I don't expect him to be a big, powerful giant. I expect him to be just a common man. And then I showed you, and i got to go back to it again, to set the foundation, and you've heard it before, the, the, the Trinity is seen right in the first three verses of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created. Let me, let me do this. In the beginning, the, the Hebrew word is breshith. God, the Hebrew name, is Elohim. It's the plural version of God. It's plurality. That's important. In the beginning, the beginning there, Breshith, means the beginning of time. See, time, God lives outside of time. But and when God created everything, he created time also. In the beginning of time, Breshith, God, Elohim, created, and that Hebrew word is bara. And bara means Create from nothing. Create from nothing. Okay, so in the beginning of time, Elohim, God in the plural sense, created everything from nothing. So that's God. You see God in all of his fullness. The second verse says, The Spirit of God hoovered over the face of the waters. So now we see the Spirit of God. That's unexplainable. You know, you see it as it is. You know, God the Father, you know, started everything in the beginning of time. In the beginning, God the Father created from nothing the heavens and the earths. Okay? Then we see in the third verse, I'm establishing for you so you know right away that the whole New Testament would be eliminated if if God wasn't presented as the Hebrew word Elohim, because the singular sense is L, E-L. And that means there's no room for a trinity. But then again, we saw God created the Father, and then we see the Spirit, you know, hoovering over the face of the water. And then we see in the third verse, then God said, let there be light. So, didn't we just read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God? Okay, so who was it that said, let there be light? It was none other than Jesus, who God made all things through. We read that in the second and the third verse of the Gospel of John. God is existent, and he is existent in three persons. In other words, God is all you need him to be. Whatever situation we are in our lives, you know, God is everything that you need.
He's the king. He's the servant. He's the son of man. And he's also the son of God. The early church says that Matthew wrote this book. You have the early church fathers like Justin Martyr, Eusebius, and Origen that ranged from uh, 130 uh, A.D. up until the 254 or so A.D. They all say that Matthew wrote this book. Matthew's name means the gift of God. So God is telling you the king of kings, Jesus Christ, is your gift from God. And we know from John 3.16, that you know it very well, that God so loved the world that he gave a gift, and that is the Son of God to you. We see that Matthew was born, and you know his name was Levi. It kind of tells you that he was a Levite. And those Levites had to know the Word of God. He probably studied for ministry quite heavily to, to actually, you know, um, to be a priest and maybe never made it to a priest, as we well know that he signed up with, with, uh, with Rome to become a tax collector. We know that tax collectors were considered to be enemies of his own nation. He was enemy of his own brothers. He was a traitor, according to them. He was a thief because these tax collectors got to collect taxes for Rome and anything that was above what they could collect was for them. They could keep it, so they were very wealthy. We know that Zacchaeus was wealthy in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was very wealthy. You remember Jesus came to town and little short Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus because he was so little. And Jesus comes down and he sees this man up in a tree and he doesn't say, hey man, come on down. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. How do you know Zacchaeus' name? I'm sure he never ran into him before. So Zacchaeus was very wealthy. He was a tax collector too. And we find out that Jesus went to his house for dinner. And so did the disciples, I would imagine. And Zacchaeus was, he was repentant. And he said, I'm going to give half of my, what I own to the poor. And he, I'm sure he did, or he wouldn't have been written in the Bible. And then he said, if I defrauded anybody, of taxes, I will pay them four times back. I have a habit that after this, I have a feeling that after this, Zacchaeus was broke. <laughs> In other words, he wasn't like the rich young ruler that walked away because he was rich. I think Zacchaeus gave it all. And so did Matthew. Do you know when Jesus called Matthew, according to the scriptures, Matthew followed him immediately. Do you know James and John, it was about a year later when they, he, they teamed up with Jesus? Matthew followed immediately. He just gave up all. So did Zacchaeus, as far as I'm concerned. He, Matthew obviously had a scriptural knowledge of, of the Old Testament scriptures, and he most likely had a mathematical mind because of his his um, tax collecting abilities to know things, you know, uh, of money. Tradition teaches us that he was martyred in Ethiopia. He was beheaded with a halberd, if you remember what that is. The Vikings, I think, used to carry that. It was a big, like, axe thing on a, on a stick, and it had a curved edge to it, and it was extremely sharp. And beings that all the disciples died a martyr's death except to John is proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because I wouldn't follow a lie. And neither would they to their deaths. Now we know John didn't die a martyr's death. But let me tell you something. Who do you think delivered him from the pot of oil that he was boiled in? I remember these three guys. Their name was Shadrach. Meshach 
and Abednego. And they were thrown into the fire so hot that the people that threw them in died. But in that fire, Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he sees four people. And he knows that their God delivered them. And you know what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said? They said, we know that our God can, but will he? They didn't know. I, I'm, I can assure you, you know, that it was also God that held back the mouths of the lion so that, um, what's his name? Jay, forgot his name. How? Daniel. I get these black spots once in a while. Daniel. I'm sure it was uh, an angel of the Lord that held back Daniel from being eaten by the lion. And I'll tell you what. You know who saved John from that boiling pot of oil? God. And you know well that he didn't die a martyr's death. He ended up being exiled to Patmos because they were probably scared to death of him. Because he, he managed to not die in a boiling pot of oil. So they... They extradited him to Patmos, where you know that he wrote the book of Revelation. But he was willing to die. And that is proof that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that he was buried, and on the third day he is risen, which is the whole gospel in a nutshell. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5. He knew the scriptures Matthew. He knew them very, very well. And I'll show you as we move along. This book was most likely written in the early 60s and, and, it, and it is fought for well whether it was the first gospel that was ever written. And it very well may have been. And we're not sure. We know it was in the 60s because if it were in the 70s or after the 70s, the talking about the temple being destroyed would have been certainly written in the Gospels. Yet all three Gospels, you know, do not mention that. All four Gospels do not mention the, uh, the temple being torn down or burned. Okay, it's not mentioned. According to Matthew 24, the temple's destruction is a future event. That's when Jesus walked the earth. So therefore, it must predate 70 A.D. Matthew references to the Sadducees seven times. That's more than the New Testament combined. As a reference to the Sadducees. Irenaeus, who was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John himself, okay, um, said that Peter and John were in Rome when, when uh, Matthew wrote his gospel, so that would still put it in the early 60s A.D., He's, we're in first century Palestine here, okay? Rome is in control. Before Rome was in control, the Syrians had it for a while, and they're the ones that where we come up with the Hanukkah comes into the picture because they uh, desecrated the temple by, by slaying a pig on the temple. And then before that, it was Alexander the Great, that had control of them. And before that, it was the Medes-Persian. And before that, it was Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. They were in constant slavery all the time. And they are looking for a king. And Matthew's telling them, yes, the king has come. But he didn't come the way you wanted him to come. He didn't come with a sword and a spear. He came with the word of God, which is a sword. A double, two-edged sword that's sharper than any other sword there is, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. He sp his audience then, because of his wisdom of the knowledge, and because he, pro he quotes 17 Old Testament prophecies, and he quotes 24 parables, and he, he re makes references to over 100 Old Testament prophecies, 
passages. That tells you right there that he has a Jewish audience. And most likely they were called Hellenist Jews because they spoke Greek. Because it was a Greek world when Jesus walked on the scene. The Old Testament, we know, was written in Hebrew, mostly Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek because it was a Greek world. Because Alexander the Great had conquered the world, and, you know, Greek was the language you needed to know. So when Jesus arrived on the scene, you know, the Romans were just a few years, not, not long before that, and they didn't get to learn all the languages of the Romans. So they, only, they knew the, the Greek quite well. He also interprets Hebrew words as he goes through his gospel. It, Hebrew words like Emmanuel, he tells us that means God. He tells the, in his gospel that means God's with us. Or Yeah, he translates Golgotha as the place of the skull because they didn't understand these Jewish words. His prayer on the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. He interpreted it to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He interpreted it for him. So that tells him he had a Hellenistic, Greek-speaking, Jewish audience. And he doesn't explain Jewish customs because they know the Jewish customs because they're Jewish. So that's his audience. Matthew's focus is to prove to a Greek-speaking Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promised Christ. Messiah, by the way, in Greek, is translated Christ, just so you know that. When I'm talking to Jewish people and trying to get them turned over to Christ, I usually use the name Messiah, because a lot of them just don't like the word Christ. I don't know why, except that, you know, Jesus is, is the Messiah, but, you know, they may, maybe they reject uh, their, their, their slavery to, to Greece. He's presenting to them that he's the Messiah, he's the king of Israel. He's Israel's leader, but they wanted a conquering king. I bet you Zacharias, when Jesus was brought to the temple to be uh, dedicated to the Lord on the eighth day and circumcised, I'll bet you, you know, he, he said to himself, this is the Messiah, a baby? But he knew it was the Messiah. He says, now, Lord, you can take me, because the Holy Spirit had told him that he, could, he, would, he wouldn't die until he sees the Messiah. But he said, when he saw that baby in his arms and he circumcised him, he said, now you can take me in peace, for I, my eyes have seen the Messiah. I'll bet you he was thinking he was going to be a conquering king when he grew up. He was a conquering king. He didn't conquer other nations. He conquered the penalty of our sin, which is death. Praise be the name of the Lord. The content of his gospel is completely Jewish. As I said, he referenced the Old Testament over 100 times. And he begins the Jewish genealogy to prove that the position of Israel belongs to this, this, this king, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Do you know that only 50 days of Christ's life is recorded in the Gospels? Only 50 days. Now, he, we know for a fact that he was on the earth at least three and a half years. So, three times 365 is well over a thousand times, and add another 170-some, you know, I mean... Listen, only what did he do in those other days? You know what? Turn to John chapter, um, the last chapter, 21. And the very last verse of the Bible, of, of, of John's, of his gospel, John's gospel, the very last verse, it says here. Now, Jesus only, only 50 days recorded. It says here, and there is also many other things that Jesus did, 
which if they were written one by one, I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know what? You could go to your library today, and I'll bet you there's a whole section on biblical knowledge. What John is saying, and we go to, us Christians know, we can go anywhere online and find whatever we want because this has already proven to be true. The whole world could not contain the volumes that could be written about Jesus. I mentioned I ever wrote a book about Jesus. It's in publishing now. Listen, you know, there's thousands and thousands of books. I got a book here. I'll be getting into it later. This is Josh McDowell. It's telling you that Jesus was more than a carpenter. He only 50 days. What happened in the other thousand plus days? Man, no wonder Jesus was so famous. No wonder the Jews couldn't attack him and throw him off the cliff and stone him like they wanted to because the people loved him because he was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, you know, healing the lepers, crippled people walking, people with, with, uh, with devils are being delivered. People with osteoporosis actually straightened up. They loved him. Even Nicodemus said to him, we know you're from God because you wouldn't be able to do these things if you were a sinner. Even Nicodemus, he knew. Did he give up his wealth? Because he actually, history tells us that Nicodemus was the fourth richest Jew in Israel. I hope he gave it up, and I think he did. I think he did by what he did on the cross with Joseph of Arimathea, take the body. I believe he was an undercover saint. Well, it's for, you know what, there's no such thing as an undercover saint now. If you're a saint through Christ, then you, then, then you need to be out there with the gospel because to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, you will not have power. That's Romans 1.16, paraphrased. The important thing is he's trying to uh, give to the Jews a two-installment plan. You can be spiritual and believe, or you can be of the earth sense and not believe. There's only really two kinds of people in this world, those who believe and those who don't. It's not black and white or yellow and red or, you know, anything like that. It's believing or unbelieving. That's the kind of people there are in the world. It's a, it has a unique placement in the Bible. Listen, Matthew, from Malachi, 430 years till we come to Matthew, it was a perfect bridge by tying all these scriptures in for the Jews. A bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. A Jew who knew the, the Old Testament would feel very comfortable in Matthew's gospel because of all the Jewish references he made. He brings out, and he's the only one, Matthew brings out the five discourses. The discourse means a dialogue. In chapters 5 through 7, you know that. That dialogue was the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 10, the call of the disciples is a discourse. Chapter 13, kingdom parables. He quotes 13 parables in this, or 17, I'm sorry, 17 parables in, in his gospel. In chapter 18, we see the church age and the kingdom and forgiveness. This is the discourse that Jesus is talking about. In 23, chapters 23 through 25, we see the end times, the Olivet Discourse, we call it. Let me show you. 17 prophecies Matthew uh, quoted. He quotes Isaiah 14. I'll just go through them real quick. The virgin birth. These are not mentioned in the other Gospels. 17 of them. The virgin birth, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he was called out of Egypt, that Rachel weeps for her children because the babies were killed in Bethlehem. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem of Euphratha. This is where the babies were killed. Okay? The voice of the one crying in the wilderness. 
John the Baptist is recorded there. Um, the that Messiah would be a light to the Gentiles. Also, that the Messiah would um, would take our infirmities. Also, that he w- he a messenger would become before him. That's John the Baptist. You know, there's um, you know there he speaks of the parables. He ri- this is a gospel that speaks about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the colt of the donkey. This is the parable where 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 who is it, Thomas, on the second time Jesus appeared, the disciples fell on his knees and cried out, My Lord and my God, when he saw the wounds in Jesus' hands. Only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. About the sheep scattering when Jesus was arrested is written in this Gospel. And the amount that Jesus was betrayed for, 30 pieces of silver, is not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament except Matthew's Gospel. That's 17 prophecies that are written about Jesus. And I remember I showed you Josh McDowell's book. I'm trying to set a foundation here. I just want you to understand that Jesus is the king. And Matthew's trying to get it. I just quoted 17 uh, prophecies. Josh McDowell in his book says, here, here, the science of probability to eight prophecies, which is half of what I just mentioned to you, we find that the chance that they, that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled eight prophecies is one to the tenth, is one to ten to the seventeenth power. That is 100 quadrillion. To help us comprehend this staggering probability, Stoner illustrates that by supposing that we take 10 to the 17 power of silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas, the state of Texas, which is 267,339 square miles, Two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars with with a with a red marker. Send a blindfolded man into the whole state. Tell him he can walk the whole state he wants, but he's allowed to get one pick. And that one pick of the silver dollar has to be the one with the red on it. The chances of that happening are one to the seventeenth power. One hundred quad Quadrillion, not millions, not billions, not trillions, quadrillions. Unbelievable. There is no doubt Jesus is the Messiah. Now, Jesus fulfilled over 365 prophecies. If he just fulfilled 48 of them, okay, it would be 10 to the 157th power. You can't even fathom that, nor could you conquer that all the days of your life. It is inevitable Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the King of Israel. If I took eight things and I told you to go up to the airport and pick my dad up, I'm going to tell you eight things about him. He's going to be dressed in a yellow suit, bright yellow. He's going to have a cowboy hat with a turkey feather in it. Okay, that's three. He's going to wear, be wearing purple boots, okay? He's going to have a crown on his head. On the, on the hat, he's going to have a, 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 a skin of an animal, okay? I'm going to tell you that he's going to have five green suitcases with him. And I'll tell you what, would you need a sign to identify him? You see this guy walking off the the airplane with a bright yellow suit would do it enough because people don't wear bright yellow suits pretty much, okay? And to have a a hat on his head, purple hat with a turkey feather in it, it just you don't need to have a sign say, you know, uh, Jesus. No, it's perfectly clear who Jesus is, without a doubt. 
Matthew alone records the wise men, the escape to Egypt, the slaughtering of the children in Bethlehem, Judas's suicide is written there, the earthquake that surrounds the, uh, at the resurrection, all these things that are perfect, are done, unbelievable who Jesus is. It shows Jesus' his supremacy. You know, he, they would ask, uh, let me turn to uh, John. No, um, yeah, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus' supremacy is written here. Okay. It says to you, Surely I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until I have paid the last penny. Oh, no, I'm in the wrong verse. Sorry. You have heard that it is said, this is Jesus talking, said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Then he goes, but I say to you. Do you see how he just overrode the supremacy of Scripture with his word? He does that five times, six times in this chapter. I'll go down to the last time he says it. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, see his supremacy? I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. He just overrode the Old Testament scriptures. In other words, he didn't really eliminate it. He perfected it and made it more clear. His supremacy is amazing. You know, this, his special messages in gospel is his supremacy, his continually to fulfill scripture, his teachings. Where would this world be without the teachings of Christ? Okay? Um, his emotional sufferings at the cross, his last words, and the Great Commission. Amazing. So chapter 1, we don't got much time left. I don't know if uh, you know this, but foundations are important. If you don't have a foundation, a good foundation, you're going to be like that building in Miami that fell. Now one side of that building had a poor foundation. And therefore, the other part of the building stood, but the part that had the poor foundation, because it wasn't settled on a rock, fell over and, and just killed a lot of people. Foundations are important. You have to know that if when John tells you that Jesus is, is the Word of God made flesh, you have to know that this is true. You have to know that the foundation is sure. Well, God made two promises in, in John chapter uh, 1 to, to Abraham. Was that in your seeds all the nations shall be blessed. And to David, he made a promise. When your days are fulfilled, in other words, at the end of his life, you will rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. He's talking about David's descendants, you know, will be king over eternal. He will be king over an eternal kingdom. His, his, the Messiah will be king over an eternal kingdom. And Matthew starts his genealogy um, uh, with uh, with going through David's son Solomon. Okay? And uh, we're going to get into that right now. So I'm going to read the first six verses of, of Matthew. I don't know how long we're going to go, but I've got a few minutes left. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it to you. The book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, 
Abraham begot Isaac. I want you to take a look at that word begot because it's going to become very important down the road at the end of this genealogy. Begot. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Neshon, and Neshon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Nobed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, David, the king, begot Solomon by her, which is a ref who had been the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba, as you well know. The son of David, actually we, we read it, is actually a meta is actually a messianic term, okay? Son of Abraham reminds us that of the promised one, yeah, that all the nations were going to be blessed. Verse 4, 3, we see four women here mentioned. Tamar, remember she was a Canaanite. She actually became a prostitute for a day. Because Jacob, uh, Jacob, Judah, would not give you know, gave Ur, his son, to her as a wife, and he died. And the Bible says that he was so evil, God took him. So, so um, Rahab had, would, the, the plan was, of course, to Tamar, it was the plan was to that woman who was the wife of a brother, the other brother could have her and keep the name going on, on and on. But he wouldn't give he wouldn't give his other son to his other son to uh, her because he thought for sure he was going to die. Then he promised to give her his third son when he grows up, and when he grew up, it never happened. So she presented herself as a as a prostitute for a day, and tricked him, and got pregnant by by Jacob, uh, Judah, Jake, Judah, Jacob. Okay. She's not a good woman. Why is she in the Messianic line? I don't know. Well, let's look at Rahab. She wasn't a, such a good woman either. She was a Canaanite prostitute. Why is she in the Messianic line? You know why? Because one day, here's what she said. She said to, um, to the spies, For the Lord your God is God in heaven, and on earth beneath. She recognized that the God of Israel was God. She even knew that the Red Sea was parted by God, and this 40 years later, because they were in the desert for about 430 years, actually. She already had acknowledged that the God of Israel is God, and that's important. Then we have a girl named Ruth, okay? Ruth was a Moabitist. Cursed to the tenth generation, because when Israel came out of the desert, out of Egypt, they used to attack the back end, the weaklings, and, and, and attack them. And God cursed them to the tenth generation. And here we see Ruth. And if you go into her genealogy, you'll find out she is the tenth generation. God couldn't wait to show mercy and grace to these people. And when we look at these verses, why these women are recorded in the scriptures, it's usually not seen. But it, it is because they acknowledged God. Mercy and grace is what God is all about. You heard me say all the time, God the Father Jesus Christ the Son is not Zeus, the Roman God that throws lightning bolts at people. That is why a lot of people stand out in the field and shake their fist at God, and I've done that, and I'm still here. Shake your fist at God, and he don't strike you dead. 
Because he's a God of mercy and love. He loves you so much. God is a giver. And he gave these people salvation because they believed in him. And notice that even Bathsheba's brought into it. She committed adultery with King David. And also she was a Hittite. Her name is, is mentioned, you know, Bathsheba. But look at her husband Uriah's name is mentioned in the scripture. Do you see God giving Uriah some credibility? God is a God of mercy and grace and love. He doesn't throw lightning bolts at people. People say, well, why did this happen in my family? Why did that hurricane destroy my house? Why did this flood kill all these people? You know what? That's a consequence of man's sin, not God's nature. Man's sin caused the world to fall. God created all the animals, and they were beautiful, and he created everything, and he said, this is good. He even created the serpent. But I'm going to tell you something. The serpent didn't look the way they do today. Man helped in that final creation because God caused, because of man's sin and Satan using supposedly the most beautiful creature in the garden, God cursed it and made it slither on the ground and eat dirt all the days of its life. So it's not in the form of its original creation. So God did not create, as far as I'm concerned, a snake. He created the serpent, which was beautiful. Now, I've told you, let's watch this begat uh, thing. You know, the begat, the word begat. Verse 7 through 11. Solomon begot Rehoboam, and Rehoboam begot Ajab, and Ajab begot Asa, and Asa begot Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah, and Uzziah begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah, and Hezekiah begot Manasseh, and Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah, and Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried into Babylon. This is all the royal line. This is all the royal line to the kingship of, of uh, uh, Jesus. Joseph is from uh, the royal line, we're going to see. Um. Okay. So Jesus is a royal heir to the throne. And he's also a blood heir through um, David's son, Nathan. David and Bathsheba's second son, Nathan. Mary's line comes through that. You can see that in uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 23 through 38. Begot means to issue forth from. There is no, you notice all those begots? Did you know when it comes to to, uh, Jesus here in the 12th verse, let me go here, Matthew 12, 1, 12 through 17. Let me read it. We're going to read some more begots. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shethiel, and Shethiel begot Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel begot Elihub, and Elub begat Elakim, and Elakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Akim, and Akim begot uh, Elud. And Elud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. How come it doesn't say Joseph begot Jesus? You know why? Because he wasn't begotten of Joseph. He was begotten of the seed of the Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary, See, Joseph is not the father of Jesus. God is the father of Jesus. And they look look at Luke chapter three. I'm going to read. Um, I don't. I think it's the thirty eighth verse. 
And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age when he began his ministry, as was supposed the son of Joseph. See, he wasn't the son of Joseph. He was, by Joseph naming him, it was a legal action that he had actually adopted him. But he is not the father of Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing how God, you know, the Bible is so deep. You aren't going to hit bottom. It's so shallow. Most Christians like to water in the puddles. But when you really dig into the scriptures, man, they are beautiful. The gems that you find, you know, it's like that parable that Jesus gave. The woman lost her gold ring or something, and she tore the house apart looking for that gold ring because it was so valuable. Well, that's what the, the scriptures are like. There are so many beautiful, valuable things in the Word of God. Most Christians just bypass them all. They just bypass them all. They just read, oh, I've got to read the whole chapter. I've got to read five chapters in the book of John today or to keep up with my yearly studies. And because they read so fast, they miss the power of, and the, and the, and the de depth of God's Word. It's time for the Christian church and the believers to grow up and read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible every day, not just hear it, read it, meditate on it. The scriptures are full of things. You've got to read it, according to Jeremiah. You've got to eat it, according to Jeremiah, that is. You've got to study it, according to Paul telling Timothy. You got to, you know, Joshua tells us to meditate on it. That means memorize it. Not just read it, study it deeply, and you're going to see these things. That little, you know what? I've read these Gospels through so many times. I really just caught on to it this time about the begot. Like God showed me. I'm there like, begot, but everybody's begotten except Jesus. Because he was begotten of the Father, not Joseph. And I think that's an important truth to, to, uh, to really go away with uh, today. So that establishes, all the way to the end of the genealogies that I just read, that establishes that Jesus Christ is from the kingship or the royal line of the kings of Israel. But, we're going to see also, you know, in Luke, and I might touch on it last next week, you're going to see, if you follow those lines, you'll find out that, that Joseph is from David and Bathsheba's son Solomon, the king. Okay? Joseph's line runs through there. But Mary's line, we're going to see in Luke chapter 3, if I go there next week, you're going to see it runs back to David and Bathsheba's son, Nathan. See, Bathsheba, remember they had the baby that died because out of the, out of the uh, you know, out of they had sexual intercourse while she was married, okay? So that baby died. And then they had another son, Solomon, who became king. And then they had another son, Bathsheba and David, and his name was Nathan. Well, Joseph's line, the royal line, goes through the kingship all the way to Jesus being adopted, not begotten by, jo by Joseph, but adopted by Joseph, okay? And then we see the, the, that's the royal line, that's the, the king line, but over in Mary's genealogy, going all the way back to David and Bathsheba through Nathan, their son, is actually showing you that the bloodline the bloodline actually comes to Mary's side. So that makes Jesus of the bloodline of, a, of, uh, of David and Bathsheba, of the, ro of the royal line. So Jesus himself has not only the royal line to the kingship, but he has the bloodline to the kingship. And do you know that the scribes and Pharisees that tried to get him all the time, they never brought up that he didn't have a legal right to the throne of Israel. Wouldn't they say, well, you're not from the David's line? They never said that. 
You're not from you're not from David's line through Nathan, or you're not from David's line through Solomon. You're not through David's line. They never brought that up because they knew he was. Because the temple records were not destroyed until 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed by uh, the Caesar uh, Titus, who wasn't the Caesar at that time when he conquered the temple. Isn't that cool? I, I think that, but God, that just did it in for me. There's a whole lot more I just passed by because we spent so much time in the introduction. But if you get anything out of this, Jesus is not only the Son of God, he's the Son of Man. And I've had people over the years tell me, I can't, I can't love Jesus. He was a man. I said, that's your problem. He's not a man. You understand him to be a man. You're thinking, I'm, like in a worldly turn, you're gay. No. No, he's God. It's a different thing to fall in love with God than it is to fall in love with another man if you're a man. He, he, he had it all wrong. He had to come to know that Jesus was God, not man. And that's what I'm saying to you here today and everybody here online. Jesus is God in the flesh. Actually, Hebrews 1.3 says it this way, and it's, I've quoted it many times. He is the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of God's nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. And Colossians tells us that he holds all things together. Scientists wonder why an atom can even stay together, because it should expel. expel. You know why? Because the scriptures tell you Jesus holds it all together. It's all held together by him, this whole world. Anyway, for those of you who don't know Jesus, you need to accept him right now. Time's running out. Time's running out. You saw that uh, little, you had a little taste with what just went by. This indignation just went by. You just got a little wee crumb of a taste what it's going to be like if you, if you don't get raptured when Jesus comes back and you end up in a tribulation. You will be so sorry. And for those of you that think you're going to be raptured post or at the end of the tribulation, you're going to be so glad you were wrong. I'm going to tell you that. So God bless you. Receive Christ as your Savior with all your heart, not with this head, with all your heart. You don't want to miss heaven by 18 inches. you got to love God with all your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. For with the mouth man confesses, and with the heart man believes, and results in salvation. Say it with all your heart, and you are as good as saved. Then send me an email. Joe at freedomchurchpb.org. Joe at freedomchurchpb.org. Thank you, Lord, Father God, for your word. Thank you, Father, that you put everything in the scriptures that we need to know. And, Father, I pray that everybody that heard this message today will understand the importance of a foundation, and they will understand the importance of knowing that Jesus is the King, the Servant, the Son of Man, and the Son of God who came and died and was buried and is risen today and has risen that third day and is still risen and always will be to you be the glory in jesus name amen and amen god bless you church i love you all